Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast, hosted by Alison Humphreys. The Recruitment Leadership Podcast is here to help those in the recruitment industry gain awareness and understanding on the hot topics faced by those in the business of hiring people. In each episode, Alison Humphreys is joined by a fellow expert to offer professional knowledge, insight and advice on the biggest subjects affecting recruitment businesses. It's the podcast to listen to for recruitment business frontrunners seeking expert information from industry-leading advisors. Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I have as my guest today, David Garcia, um, and David's joining us from Chicago. Welcome, David. Thank you so much, Alison. Glad to be on with you today. Uh, it's a pleasure. So we're talking today, we're going to really drill down on the nuts and bolts of remote working. So pretty much everyone we know has had to make some adjustments to remote working. Um, pretty much, I think it's fair to say that we've all done that reactively. We've tended mm-hmm. to be on the back foot. And um, David, you obviously, do, you do work with recruiters in the USA. I know you're um, a director of Scout Logic, which is a background screening service, but that's not our focus today. Um, Dave, I came across David because um, he was a published author on remote working, and you also have quite a lot of um, first-hand experience to talk about how you've done it effectively in your business. So David, perhaps you could just fill out a little bit of background and how your credentials, if you will, in this area. Absolutely. And thanks again, Allison, for having me on. So, you know, as you mentioned, I'm the CEO of Scout Logic. We're a pre-employment background check company, uh, and we've been pioneers in remote work, um, somewhat by, I would call it a happy accident, uh, but one that's really become a competitive advantage for us. So in the background check industry, you know, we believe that data and technology is a commodity and people are really the way you differentiate. And when we started our business in 2017, we thought we would have an office, an in-person office like everyone else. And what we quickly found is that really limited our talent pool. So, uh, and we were really nervous about remote work. Like, how do you trust people to like work all day? Uh, Are they gonna be presentable in front of clients? But we thought it was worth a try. And so we started piloting remote work in 2017. And it was a wild success for us. And so when the pandemic hit, we had a lot of lessons learned under our belt for how to make remote work possible. And it's really become a competitive advantage for our business. And so I had started blogging about it and was just really happy to share some of our lessons learned and really practical advice for your listeners today. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Now, one of the things that um, you'll be aware of about the recruitment industry is that a lot of the people involved um, have built their success on what you might, you know, you might call a kind of sweatshops culture. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Banging the drum, get back on the phones, very visible activity. Um, How, from your own experience, have you been able to maintain productivity, really high levels of productivity um, with remote working? So, so half of our clients are recruitment staff and agencies. So I, I know your listener well and kind of what they're trying to accomplish, but also the culture they've worked in historically. And fortunately for them, I think remote work is really an, an appropriate and could be a really successful thing for them. But you have to get over that kind of trust barrier. So what I always tell people is there's really 
three things to think about in terms of how to get over that and really make sure you're maintaining productivity. One is like any good business, what gets measured gets done. So whether someone's sitting at a desk five feet from you or at their home, you know, 50 miles away, you should have a set of metrics that you're looking at every day. How many calls did they make? How many meetings or Zoom meetings were they on? And then, you know, how many candidates did they place either from a sourcing perspective or, or a get to work perspective, right? Those are all wonderful leading indicators that you should use no matter what. Uh, but once you're starting to do that, then all of a sudden you can start to get, engage in some of what I would call the cultural elements. Are people communicating well? Uh, do we hear from your different recruiters? Or are they off in a silo? If you're getting both those things working right, there's a good chance that not only is remote work possible for you, but you may actually see higher productivity, which was what our experience was at Scout Logic. Mm, interesting. And when, given that you almost from the beginning set your business up as a remote working business, how did that play into your your own recruitment? How did you screen people for suitability for that at a time when very few people would have had experience of it? Yep. Well, well, first, before we even screen them, the idea for people of being able to work at home, and again, this is pre-pandemic, but I'll come back to post-pandemic, it's a huge enticement. And so if you're competing against other recruitment agencies for great people, it can be a way for you to get better people in the door that will do better for your business. So, so that said, once you're actually interviewing and evaluating people to work at your company remotely, we almost always test for communication skills. No one wants the assassin behind the email or Slack messages poisoning the environment. So do they have good interpersonal skills? Have you looked at some of their writing and communication? I would ask them to draft an email for you in the, in the context of a conflict situation to see how they respond and reply. And when you're doing reference checking, I would really make sure you ask their references, how do they handle conflict when working remotely? Because that's where most problems will arise. But now just kind of the, the thought I want to put in your listeners' minds is as we come out of the pandemic and return to work, I think you need to be really aware of many of your employees might love it. Uh, we do. We talk to CHROs all the time. Many are doing return to work surveys. And what they're hearing from people is, hey, if my company's going to make me go back to work five days a week, I'm looking for a new job. So I think that's something that, that your listeners really need to be aware of. Yeah, very much so. And there's plenty of evidence in the, in the UK that that's, that's the mood as well. So what a lot of people have been able to do, given that they're, obviously their staff who were hired pre-pandemic or live within commuting distances, they've been able to get this best of both worlds. You know, a couple of days in the office, three days at home, minimise the commute, um, but keep the community. Actually, that works really nicely. Um, the the There are a whole list of um, policies, processes and so on that can be optimised better for remote working, though. So thinking about managers and leaders in the recruitment industry, um, as I said earlier, they've been on the back foot so far. Now, I'd be really interested in your thoughts on how they can be on the front foot from now on for all of those areas like policies, onboarding staff, how they go about communicating news to the whole business um, and you know, managing individuals. How, how as a manager, should they adapt their style and processes for doing that? 
Such a great question. And I'll divide my answer into the kind of tactical process stuff that's really important. And I'll share some lessons learned. And then what I call the engagement side. How do you really take advantage of it to build great, great culture and more importantly, great productivity? On the policy side, obviously, all you have to do is Google remote work policy, and, and you're going to get a whole bunch of new templates out there that have come up in the last year. I'm sure your listeners have done that. Where we have struggled with remote work policies in areas I would look at, one would be, what is someone's appearance on a Zoom? We've had issues where you know the environment behind me look, hopefully looks okay. We've had people whose houses or bedrooms are a total disaster while they're on with the client or clearly haven't showered in a couple of days. It, you, we're laughing. It happens, right? And so what's your policy to have an uncomfortable conversation with someone about that? Second watch out we've had when it comes to policy is where is someone working? So pandemic, no big deal, right? Because we're all probably in our quiet homes. But when the pandemic is done, what's all that background noise I hear? Are you at a, a Starbucks? It's four in the afternoon. Are you at a pub or bar? It does happen, right? And so you need to have policies like where are you working remotely? Quiet professional area. So that's some of the, the tactical stuff. But then when it comes to engagement and processing culture, this is where your listeners can really differentiate. And it's all about over communication and bringing people together. So how often do you do all company meetings where everyone gets to hear what's going on with the business? How often do you shine metrics up that shows who's really performing well and maybe who's not, if you want to retain some of that boiler room culture. And then really, how are you handling conflict within the business? This is the most dangerous element of remote work, is when we have a conflict with each other, old world, we can go you know, talk it out in the office. We can grab a quick chat in the conference room. We can't do that today. We can behind, hide behind Slack and be upset in our homes. So what's the obligation as leaders that we have to build a culture where Hey, after three emails, if this issue issue isn't done, you people need to get on the phone or do a video call to hash it out. Ah, okay, right. So actually just make that one of your unwritten rules that three emails speak to each other. Yeah, a absolutely. Okay. Everyone in my company loves to call me out when I don't follow that rule. So that, <laughs> that's one, I just did it last week. So that's one where, uh, where it's really important to drive that into your culture. And in terms of onboarding new staff yep. who have never had that, um, you know, the physical uh, co-working, what what would you say are the best le best lessons that you can pass on there? Such a, such a great question. So you know, my own business we doubled last year, and then I sit on the board of another company that tripled its employee base all during COVID. Most most people, most employees haven't met each other, much less met their manager. The number one thing that helps is actually scheduling Zooms with peers and cross-functional partners within the business to forge relationships from an onboarding perspective. Think about the old world of onboarding. Allison joins the company. We all take her out to lunch for the first day. She has questions. She can look two desks over and ask for help. We can't do that anymore. And if we don't know someone, it's kind of weird randomly popping a meeting on their calendar. But if we have scheduled mentorship sessions, buddy sessions, 15, 20 minutes, all throughout someone's first week on the job, well, now they have the start of a relationship where they can go to people for help. And then we also assign a buddy or a mentor to that new person to be an, an open, honest, and transparent and helpful resource for them to help them be successful in their first 90 days. 
Right. Yeah, because if you were sitting with a, a desk adjacent to somebody, then, you know, a small thing, a thing you you maybe feel a bit foolish asking your boss, it's really easy to ask a co-worker, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and without those those meetings existing, setting up a Zoom makes the thing bigger than it needs to be very often. So just circling back to... Um, to the learning and development aspect of onboarding people, not just yep. onboarding actually, but yep. all learning and development. What what has been worked really well for you um, and your colleagues in terms of um, ongoing development in a remote setting? Well, it's such a great question as well. Um, learning management solutions, software platforms are readily available and relatively inexpensive. So that means every business, every recruiting agency owner can be a content creator to train people, right? And you can use tools like Zoom to record videos. So what we have done is two things. One is we use a tool called LearnUpon, which is essentially allows us to create courses, quizzes, and lessons. We don't need an outside developer or agency. Our production values aren't great, but it gets the point across. So then you have to invest the time uh, to create that content as a business or source other content. And then you need to actually give your people time to do it or measure them on their, uh, their ability to complete it. So typically we designate Friday afternoons for an hour or two for people's own individual development. Uh, the tool that we use LearnUpon allows us to score people, rate them, they get badges, it becomes a competition. So you make learning fun for your employees. And, uh, and remember, we're, we're a sales-oriented uh, company in many respects at heart, so a little competition, it's always a good thing. Mm. Yeah, I found that uh, and because learning and development is an absolute passion of mine. And I find that a lot of businesses mistake giving out information with actual training and learning. Yeah. And therefore they're thinking, OK, well, I just need to record something yep. and broadcast it. And therefore people will learn. And as you and I know, the, that is not the case. In fact, you might argue that it's worse than no training at all to do things that way. So I always feel that um, if people are going to use a learning management system, they have to start with the end in mind, you know, actually decide what it is you want people to be able to do, not what you want them to know. Um, so start with what you want them to do, then work out what the skills are and the knowledge are. And actually, you know, online, it's a really easy way to absorb information but it's not a great way to build skills, is it? You do need interaction for skills. I'm so I'm so glad you said that. And he, and here's why. Um, my wife, uh, before she became a stay-at-home mom, was a teacher. And one of the things that she had shared early on, you know, as I was starting to develop teams and build training programs, was we all have different learning styles. Some of us are, you know, visual learners, audio learners, tactile learners. So the other element that we do in all of our onboarding is instead of just giving a video. We also give written materials. Uh, we also do live role plays with your manager to actually test the skill as well. So just very strong agreement from me, Allison, and that it takes a multifaceted approach to make sure you're training and learning someone. We found the same experience. And, and there's no harm whatsoever in putting out that sort of informational video first, but it won't do the job on its own, will it? But like you say, so we need to then plan, okay, what we'll do some role plays, for example, to assess what you're able to put into use. And managers, therefore, need to know precisely what they're looking for, not just say, yeah, broadly, that was OK. <laughs> and then, of course, we need to track forward into how do we expect to see 
that behavior put to use in the real world? What are the results that we're looking for? Um, otherwise, it's just interesting, isn't it? <laughs> interesting information. Absolutely. And, and and one more idea for your folks that, that we do that's really successful in this area, to your point on bringing it into the real world, we have our people record their Zoom interactions with clients, with, with permission, of course. And there are some tools out like Gong. We'll play that for people, for like the whole sales team or the whole recruiting team on those Fridays, which obviously can create some fear on the person who's being listened to and critiqued. But it really helps for others to hear, hey, what's working? Hey, what's not? That's been one of the more successful programs we've had at the company. Right. Fabulous. Now, and I use a lot of um, telephone call recordings for the yep. same purpose. And when I ask a, a client of mine, the owner of a recruitment business, I say, send me some call recordings. Yep. And they go, uh, you know, and I hear nothing for a week. And I say, where are those call recordings? And they say, oh, no, we're, we're just waiting for someone to do the perfect one. And actually, no. a really <laughs> mediocre one is a great learning tool, isn't it? It's a Absolutely. really good one because if you if if people can analyze that and then say, well, they missed this opportunity, they missed that opportunity, and then role play themselves how it should be done, that's yep. perfect. So yep. I love the idea of using a recorded live Zoom interaction as well. Um, and and um, just in terms of breaking news or making big announcements, uh, and a couple of my clients have tried to make some fairly big strategy announcements, if you will, on Zoom at their weekly meetings, the whole team. Um, what they've commented to me is that people don't seem to take it in. Those people who uh, are less interested or cannot see how this affects them, um, it's easier for them to hide in a Zoom meeting than it would be if they were standing in a circle on the sales floor, for example. Um, and uh, I wondered if you had any tips or advice for managers on how to really get maximum impact from those bigger meetings. Well, and I, I think it's a multifaceted communication approach that, that allows you to deliver kind of big change or big news. And big meeting is simply one tactic. So what we have done at ScoutLogic in a remote work perspective that's worked well is we do the big meeting and we make sure we record the big meeting so folks can listen to it on some of our internal solutions. But a lot of people don't like to ask questions in big meetings. And so if they're looking for clarity, I don't want to be the person that raises my virtual hand on Zoom and ask a dumb question, right? So that's tactic one. Tactic two is we almost always produce a written transcript or some written summary of what we're trying to get done. Because again, people have different learning styles. And then the last and most important is we make sure our managers are crystal clear on what we're trying to communicate, and then they can have a discussion with their team where people have a, a much easier time asking questions. If we only do the first one, what we have found, like half of the information goes over people's head, and you got to do the other two tactics at least to make sure you're starting to get it into the company. Great. Okay. So we have the whole team meeting. Yep. The written, the recorded, the written transcript, yep. and then the detailed, what does this mean for us, is done in a smaller group. Yeah, exactly. I think that's great sound advice. Now, I want to ask you something about levels of scrutiny. So um, there's a whole spectrum of opinions on this one. Um, and in recruitment, I've seen right through from um, companies who have installed software to ensure that they're... Uh, some that take photos to make sure that their employees are actually at their desks uh, during working hours with only a couple of you know minutes away for comfort breaks allowed. Um, so that's at one extreme. 
At the other, um, I've uh, also spoken to business owners who have basically let people get on with it and even reduced their KPI measurements and so forth um, during the pandemic. So what's what's your advice for a sales-led recruitment business? So, so early on, <clears throat> when we were developing our trust and comfort with this, we used a tool called ActiveTrack, which was on everyone's computer, which did exactly what you said in the extreme piece. It monitored everybody's website. Were they working productively on their computer and were they not? What we quickly found is <clears throat> everyone's pretty much working productively. And, and more importantly, what we started to find was some of the KPIs we track, those were really a much better uh, indicator of someone's performance and value. So after probably about 18 months, we sunset active track and we really just focus on the KPIs that matter the most. Now, I'm a data nerd, Allison, so everyone in my company likes to make fun of me about this. Um, but it's all about having the right number of KPIs versus overwhelming people. Uh, when I think about our recruiting clients, which is akin to our salespeople, I'm looking at daily activities, meetings book, and size of pipeline, and win rate. Those four things, right? Those are the four KPIs I really care about. If you're doing that, you know, seven days a week, I hope you're not, but that's on your time. If you can, you know, be a stellar performer in six hours a day, I'm fine with that too, as long as the business is getting the outcome you need. But everyone has to develop that level of comfort for themselves. Mm. Yeah, it is a, a, a tricky one. And certainly some business owners have taken the opportunity quite rightly to actually review what KPIs they were measuring because there's, you know, for the in lockdown one, there simply wasn't the level of jobs and business to do. Um, and uh, a lot of recruitment business owners have simply carried on with the KPIs they were brought up with without really considering whether they're right now for that business or even whether they are truly key performance indicators or whether they're, they've become an end in themselves. Um, and if you look at, say, permanent recruitment, the only genuine performance indicator, i.e. you can directly and consistently tie it to billable fees, is interviews. It's how often you get a client in front of a candidate, yeah? And so people layer on all sorts of other things, but actually different recruiters have different means of achieving that, that aim. And um, yeah, if, uh, if we can keep focused on what genuinely indicates future performance, then I think we could all do much better with that. Okay. We, we, al we always debate on our team, stay away from vanity metrics, right? One of, my, one of my favorite vanity metrics is how many website visitors we get. Um, I'm like, oh, look, it's going up and to the right. And everyone in our business is like, rarely does it have an impact on our lead flow, right? So maybe that's not one you should be obsessing over, Dave. So I think that's a great challenge for your listeners. No vanity yeah, metrics. Yeah, just because something is measurable does not actually mean it's important, does it? That's right. Okay. And actually, to flip that, to flip that the other way around... Some things which are important are not measurable mm -hmm. by remote systems. So um, if you think about the amount of almost unconscious learning that used to go on in an office by people just osmosing, you know, just absorbing this knowledge, phraseology, um, pace even, uh, by overhearing their colleagues at work, mm -hmm. 
there's a lot of um, the learning the way we do things around here that actually isn't written down. Now, that's a piece that um, some of the people I work with have said that's harder to get across to new hires, um, you know, it, when they are completely remote. The quality mm -hmm. aspect, the qualitative aspects of their job rather than just the quantitative ones. Again, just putting you on the spot. Anything you could add on that? No, I, 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 we have struggled with that as well. The best way we get around that is um, we call them buddy ups and huddle ups. So on the buddy up side, this goes back to when we talked about onboarding. Who's your, who's your designated friend within the company that's mm -hmm. gonna help you start to absorb some of that culture and rules of the road? We encourage those people to have virtual lunch you know, at least once a week. You know, Just share a meal together over Zoom, talk about mm -hmm. how things are going. A lot of osmosis happens that way. Huddle ups are when our small teams get together. On our operations side, that is daily in the morning. And on our sales organization, that's three times a week. So those are you know five to seven person pods. We're talking about what's going on. This is what I'm trying to get done today. This is what I, I'm, I'm wrestling with. Those huddle ups are no different than what we'd be doing in the office. And so a lot of information gets shared there as well. Those two practices have worked pretty well for us. Love it. Buddy up and huddle up. Remember those. Thank you. So just want to focus uh, in the, the last phase here on warning signs. Um, there are some people who have not coped well with this change. And um, there are, you know, for example, the one, the quiet ones, the keyboard warriors, um, and and you mentioned earlier overworkers. Um, so if if you're a manager managing remotely, what for you would be the ways to spot someone who was in trouble who didn't come and tell you? My one of my favorite. I don't want to get emotional, but one of my favorite salespeople on our team is like the biggest extrovert I, I've ever met in my life. And um, probably about two months into the pandemic. Couldn't go see customers, couldn't, you know, go buy people lunch, couldn't go to the trade association, you know, pub crawl. And uh, and then you had everything in the personal life going on. The number one way we can observe if someone's having a challenge or an issue is through face-to-face -face communication. So that's actually doing, I know it sounds so tactical, Allison, but video calls versus phone. Um, a lot of people rely, at least early on, relied on phone calls for check-ins. Really hard to see what's going on with someone when you can't see their facial expression. And what are you looking for then? Um, a change in demeanor most often. So like in the case of this person, this person was normally like highly energetic, highly upbeat, you know, ideas everywhere. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to grow. And we saw that dialed back, you know, 30, 40%. And that's when it's time to be like, hey, is everything okay? What can we be doing to help you? Um, but what it requires on the part of you know, recruitment agency owners is you have to care about the whole person. You have to realize that it's the whole person who works with you that delivers the results you want. If you only look at them simply as a human machine, you will fail them and they will fail you. Mm, okay. And so um, apart from a change in demeanor, are there any other warning signs that you would suggest to look out for? Um there, there's one more warning sign and then one idea that's something that we have done. Um, on the warning sign piece, it's if you see, I would say, uh, when that when people are in conflict, 
and you see sharper aggressive behavior that's outside kind of whatever your cultural norm is, that's a clear warning sign, right? Mm -hmm. So if on email two at Scout Logic before you get to the video call, I see a sharp reaction from someone, I'm like, that's not her. She never, you know, that's that's just something must be wrong. As a leader, I jump on a Zoom call and check in to make sure that everything's okay. Almost always you find there's something going on with a professional or personal that's impacting them. So as a leader, you really have to monitor all the electronic communication that you see going on and also make sure there's a culture of other people having a willingness to do that as well. But a great tool that we implemented actually last year to help us with this is called CultureAmp. Uh, CultureAmp does a lot of great employee engagement survey work, and it also benchmarks you to other companies that use their service anonymously within your industry. That really helped give us at a granular department level where there were some engagement challenges as well, and even at a manager level, so we could kind of laser and hey, so-and-so's team's having some issues clearly, we need to get in there and make sure we're touching base with everyone. It, it provides a heat map for us once a quarter that's invaluable to understanding how's everyone's emotional temperature these days. And, and that's based on what, an anonymous survey or something? Correct. Else? It is an anonymous survey, but it, it gives a department level designations and manager level designations. Mm -hmm. So within an eight person team, if we know Allison's team is red relative to everybody else, we know we need to spend some time with Allison and the team to make sure they're doing okay. Mm. And, and let's not forget that managers have had to absorb a lot of stress as well during pandemic, haven't they? So um, they are not superhuman and they themselves need to care for. One of the things that I would suggest to listeners to look out for is the timing of any emails or other communications. So there are some people, you know, who just are really urgent, in a hurry to get things off their to-do list and onto someone else's and they will be sending their emails at midnight, 1am even because they're excited about something yep. and it works for them to do that. But um, in a, quite a lot of cases, um, I found that it's actually a bit of a cry for help. And when somebody is worrying that much that they are sending stuff uh, they're probably not doing their best work at 1am, are they? <laughs> okay. Last question then, David. Um, there'll be a number of people listening who are also employees. Um, and I wondered if you had any advice for people about how to be a great remote employee as opposed to manager or leader. How to make yourself really great to work with in that, um, in that environment. Any thoughts? The what we tell our people on the very first day they join Scout Logic is in order to be a great, great remote worker at Scout Logic, and we, now we have people from the United States to the Philippines to everywhere in between, is you need to work at communicating and getting to know your coworkers. Um, again, if we're all in the same office, it becomes it's natural and it's organic. But in a remote virtual world, world you need to work at it. So do the outreach to do the social lunch. Do the outreach when you're not feeling right about a communication to make sure you work it out with someone. Have the courage if you have a question to reach out to your manager or coworker and ask for help. To be a great coworker, the onus is on you to make that communication happen. That is the single best thing you can do to not only help the company, but more importantly, help your own experience and make it as great as possible. Mm, okay, so be proactive about building Huge. that. Great. Okay. So thank you very much, David. There's some really useful trips. I love your buddy up and huddle up things. 
And your classic, your rule about if you've been having a bit of an angry exchange, three emails, that's it. Everyone has to actually look at each other to resolve <laughs> that issue. Really practical advice. So, David, if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with you to explore any of the issues that we've discussed today, how should they do that? So always feel free to email me at david.garcia at scoutlogicscreening.com or feel free to visit our website at www.scoutlogicscreening.com and you'll see our number and someone can get in touch with me. I love hearing ideas for what's working as well. So if you have a neat idea, please feel free to share it. But if you ever want to brainstorm on things that you may need help with for your own company, always happy to help out uh, fellow business owners. That's very kind of you. Thank you. And uh, listeners, this is just one of the many, many issues that um, I work with business owners to address uh, through my work at recruitmentleadership.co.uk. So if you'd like to talk about getting the macroscope on your business and a consultancy and business advisory service that covers every aspect of running a recruitment business successfully, get in touch with me, Alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk. So thank you very much, David, for being my guest today. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Do join us next time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, review and share so that others can find the podcast too. We really appreciate your support. If you have any questions about the topics covered or wish to find out more about recruitment leadership, please email alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk referencing the podcast. We're also on LinkedIn where you can follow recruitment leadership and connect with Alison Humphreys. Thank you for listening and we hope you join us next time for another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Thank you.